Hey, everybody. How's it going? Before we get started, I wanted to take a second and say Happy New Year. I hope you've all made great resolutions and that we're ready to kick off 2020 doing awesome things, investing in ourselves, growing as people, as musicians, and in any other way that you want to grow. And um, I can't wait to do all that together and share my growth with you and hopefully hear about your growth as well. Um, some context for this particular episode, uh, Karen, I interviewed her in October of 2019. And... Um, I guess the best way to put it is I didn't know anything about her and she was so open and so willing to talk with me. And she's clearly had a lot of success with some of her clients. And so I was really interested to kind of dig deep and see what she had to say. Since interviewing her, I have become one of her artists and I've been working with her uh, for the past three months or so. And she has been incredible for me and my wife, who is also consulting with her. Um, she's just challenged me in ways that I didn't know I needed to be challenged. And she's helped me understand how to present myself on my brand most effectively. And um, I just can't recommend her enough. So check out her contact information at the end of the episode and send her a message, contact her in any way if you have any questions. She's one of the most wonderful and awesome and just sort of we're all in this together, so we should help each other kind of people that I know. And I can't recommend her and her wonderfulness enough. All right, enough of me talking. Let's get into the episode. Hello, and welcome to That's Not Spit, It's Condensation. Hello, everybody, and welcome to That's Not Spit, It's Condensation. I'm Ryan Beach, and on today's episode, I am coming at you from the home of Karen Kubides, right? Yeah, that was good. Yeah, I'm so glad I listened to your <laughs> podcast for many reasons, but <laughs> learning how to say your name is one of them. I thought it was Cubides the first time I saw it. Yeah, that's what I usually get. But it's not that. So um, Karen is very generously offered, has very generously offered to uh, give me some of her valuable time to talk to me on the podcast. And uh, we're coming at from her house, her lovely home in Nashville. And um, it's just, uh, I can't thank her enough for allowing me to, to come by. So first, thank you for allowing me to interview and welcoming me into your home. Of course. Thank you for having me. I'm, I'm so excited. I'm a huge fan of your podcast and it's blowing up now. So everyone's just like, it's not spit, it's not spit. So I'm, I'm excited <laughs> to be on it. And I'm excited that I'm not a brass uh, player. <laughs> that, that's kind of, it's, it's still a little, it's still a little weird, you yeah. know? Like that, my episode with Barbara. Yeah, it did really well. That, well, that just took it to a new place, right? Yeah. I mean, everybody knows Barbara in the trumpet world, especially, but mm -hmm. in the music world in general. And that kind of put it into this next... Yeah, next level. Yeah, exactly. So, so exciting. it's very exciting. And I'm hoping through uh, interviewing people like you, I can branch out into your networks and stuff like yeah, that. Absolutely. And so um, for my listeners that may not be as acquainted with you, I think the best place to start would be how you got to where you're doing now what you're doing now. Yeah. <clears throat> Excuse me. For those that don't know, I, why don't you actually say, because um, there's a lot of I things know. and I don't want to, <laughs> I don't want to miss anything. So if you want to yeah. go over what you, what your job descriptions are. Currently. Yeah, absolutely. I feel like that's a very stressful question. And I'm currently working on a rebrand <laughs> to be able to like, just give you like a one-liner. But basically I have an artist services agency where we work with professionals of all levels um, and 
you know, things. And we do everything in-house that an artist could ever need. So photography, web design, videography, consulting. I'm also a life coach. We do business coaching, um, literally anything. Project management. We have a couple CD releases, records. We've done all the things for the last six years now. And um, But one of the things that I'm most proud of is my emerging artist program. About three years ago, I finally decided to just do it and decided to build an emerging artist program that would help... Um, the next generation of musicians um, experience the thing that they feel like they need permission to experience. So then we offer them the same services and the same kind of thing in-house that a high-profile client would have at a younger age so they're prepared. Um, but the thing that I love the most is we're training these emerging artists to realize that their worth comes from who they are and not what they do, which I saw was missing in our industry. Um, and, you know, life coach, saxophonist. I went to school for multi-woodwinds in yeah. Boston and... That's pretty much it. Yeah, that's a big part of uh, the message, I suppose. I mean, the the my the message of this podcast on my website it says, I think exploring what makes great musicians great or something. Like yeah. That. But really, what the I mean, that's like a nice tagline. But what it is for me is sort of trying to dig deep, right, and finding out like characteristics about mm -hmm. these people to show that oftentimes success has very little to do with this person plays their instrument really, really well. Right. It's more, you know, um, the addition or uh, whatever of all of the things that have happened to them in, them in their lives and then the person they were in those situations and that, yeah, basically your success oftentimes comes more from who you are yeah. and what you have to offer there than it does you know, just because you happen to be really good at your instrument. Obviously, that's a prerequisite well, for most yeah, of it. Well, yeah, that's assumed. But I mean, after, you know, a couple of decades of playing your instrument, like, I would hope you'd do it well. <laughs> right, yeah, ideally speaking, or at least at a level proficient enough to, right. you know, maybe get paid some money to do it. So, um, I'm for these reasons, I'm very excited to talk to you, actually, just because uh, my introduction to you was... Uh, I texted Will Baker. Uh, yeah, I love he's been Will. on. Yeah, he he just was on the podcast um, talking about freelancing, mm -hmm. and I texted him about Jeremy because I didn't know who Jeremy was. So I texted him about Jeremy Wilson, and I saw he has a, a huge following on social yeah. media, and I was like, "What's this guy's story? You know, <laughs> what's his deal?" And Will told me, you know, he was in Vienna and then he left because he wanted to be a, a in a teaching position, mm -hmm. and he came back to Vanderbilt, and then he said he was linked up with you and your services and. He started telling me about you and then he told me a little bit about the conversation he had with you. Mm -hmm. And I was like, man, like if I could interview her, should I? And he's like, yes, <laughs> <laughs> like of course, right? And then for all those listening, the re where I'm headed with all of this is I reached out to Karen and I just said, I have a podcast. I'm enjoying your podcast. Like I would love to pick mm -hmm. your brain about some stuff. And she's just been so warm and open to me and a situation where I feel like somebody could be nice and mm -hmm. would be nice, right. but you've kind of gone the extra mile and setting up <laughs> other podcast interviews for me oh, and really just being very generous um, with just like kind of who you are, right? You just are yourself. And I, I would like to pick that apart as much as possible oh, to get as you. much advice out there for people. So we'll start with, I know you were a, a saxophonist. You said multi-woodwinds. And so we could just start in that area of where you were at school or even before that, when you got into how you got the music bug, so to speak, when you were younger yeah. and then how you got in where your education took you. 
Totally. Um, well, I come from first generation. I'm a first generation Latina. So my parents immigrated from Colombia and um, my parents are also just very generous, amazing people. And when they finally bought their dream home, um, there was a piano in this house and I was just you know, playing around with it. And then they're like, okay, well, you should probably take lessons, which was super random because nobody in my family is musical. And then that just led to you know me wanting to play all the instruments. And I was literally that dork that was in band and choir and orchestra. Like, I played cello. It was so gross. Um, and <laughs> <laughs> then I was like, my, my teacher, who's awesome um, was like you should go to Interlochen I was like okay um, so I went to like the summer camp and I'm from Florida I grew up in Miami and I was just blown away because I had done all state I had you know won all state in a couple different categories like I thought I was like awesome yeah, yeah. <laughs> I got to Interlochen and I was like no I'm not you saw the world yeah. yeah yeah and it was just so great to to just be in that place I mean Interlochen is so magical um, so I did the summer camp I went as a clarinetist um, and was in like the last year of everything, which is awesome. Really good for my um, ego. Sure. And then um, <laughs> I, they offered me a scholarship, but they said, you have to play saxophone. I was like, oh, this is what I've always secretly wanted to play. But you know, everyone was like, there's too many saxophones and ah, play something else, flute, clarinet. Um, so I was like, sure, I'll play saxophone. So I did my junior and senior year of high school at Interlochen on saxophone. And then from there, I was like, I want to, you know, study with the best and I want to be a professional classical saxophonist, which is like, what does that even mean? Um, and I went to Boston Conservatory, studied with Ken. He was amazing. Um, and Boston is just the best city in the world. It's yeah. still my favorite city. Like, I love it so much. I'm so sad I moved, but I'm trying to love Nashville now. Um, and it was just an amazing place. Like, I, I was, I had a job my freshman year. I was able to have as much, like, hands in the fire with so many different things that mm -hmm. were not in my major. Um, I went to Longy first, then I tra transferred to Boston Conservatory. Um, and there is where it all started. Like everything, like from the Boston Symphony to running my own orchestra to wanting to help musicians. Did you have a, uh, we, we could call it a point of ignition as the talent code would talk about it, where you decided this is what I want to do. Because you said you got into piano and then you played all the different instruments and then you went to Interlochen. Was there a specific experience at Interlochen that made you decide this is what I want to do in college and for mm -hmm. the rest of my life? Or was it before that? Or is it just kind of like your life evolved in that way? Yeah, it's a combination of both. Like my parents would always tell me like, you can be whatever you want to be. Just make sure you're the best at what you do. Mm -hmm. um, and you're a good person in that process too. Um, so it didn't matter you know, what it was going to be. And when I got to Interlochen, it was a very transformative experience, not only musically, but personally, I grew so much. And I realized there in that environment that I wanted to be surrounded by the best. And it didn't matter what fashion that was, um, the the greatest thinkers, the, the most generous people, and just good, amazing, talented, world-changing humans was the goal. And then that's kind of what I've been chasing ever since, sure. no matter what I've been doing. So uh, this is already right out of the gate really awesome to hear because it's not instrument specific, right? Yeah, no. Like you're applying a methodology to whatever the things are that you're doing, mm -hmm. right? And you can be successful with any of that methodology then, which I think is very, very important because we often kind of get ourselves into a, not a box, right? But into a corner, at least a corner yeah. where we think, okay, this is the thing that I'm doing and I know how to play an instrument. Right. I'm capable of playing an instrument. And we kind of understand that the discipline it takes and the problem solving it takes could be applied to other things. Sure. But sort of shifting our sort of our mindset to think those are the things that matter to me and I'm applying it to a musical instrument. But I could also apply it to working out. I could apply it mm -hmm. to a business side of something I think opens up more doors of possibility, especially if things aren't panning out in any particular case. And like a, maybe a freelancer just moved somewhere and right. they're having trouble or something like that. So mm -hmm. anyway, so you're in Boston. 
it led the doors. To, so what kind of work were you doing in starting your own orchestra or the Boston Symphony? You kind of mentioned that stuff would pick yeah. up there. Um, so I, my freshman year, um, I was dating my RA and he was like, hey, this uh, orchestra needs a stagehand. And I've always been passionate about stage management. It was actually my dream job to be the stage manager for the Boston Symphony and just tour the world with them, setting up their chairs and stands. I just have this like passion for like behind the scenes work and just to be helpful. Like I just, I love it so much. It really fulfills me. And um, I was like, yes, I will set up chairs and stands, but I'd never had the experience. So I showed up and the conductor was like, here, spot this. I was like, what does that even mean? Um, so I just like, you know, was kind of learning. And, and that was what I was so grateful for in Boston that you just were kind of thrown into these situations and you just kind of had to learn on your own. Um, and yeah, I was, you know, setting up chairs and stands. And then I kind of climbed my way up that orchestra. It was called the Boston Classical Orchestra. So I started off as the stagehand. And the next year I was the marketing manager, then subscriptions, development, assistant to the executive director. And then my senior year, I ran the orchestra. I was the youngest executive director in the state of Massachusetts. Um, I was running my half a million dollar orchestra. Um, we did six concerts a year, a bunch of outreach. And it was just again, so awesome that I was able to do that and still be in school. And um, of course, the Boston Symphony was always the goal. Started off as the ticket lady, symphony charge, box office, which I also loved interacting with the patrons and stuff. Um, then ran the subscriptions department. And then I applied to a couple of the stagehand jobs, but the symphony is so traditional. Um, and I just didn't want to play that game. I was like, no, it's okay. I'm, I There's no room for what I want to do here. And I ha actually had a very pivotal moment at the symphony and which I love and I'm so grateful for. And it's still one of my favorite orchestras ever. But um, I was the only person that worked the the symphony charge department and like the subscriptions department that did not live in Boston. So for the holidays, um, I would always go to Miami because it's a really big deal for my family to to be together for the holidays, for mm -hmm. Christmas and for, for New Year's especially. It's mm -hmm. they're kind of intense. Um, so I always like I will work extra every other time, every other day. I just need to take this you know these two days off. Um, I'm happy to fly back, but I just cannot work Christmas or um, New Year's. And we have of course the Boston Pop, so it's it's very busy time. And I was the best ticket seller. I always had the highest retention. Like my clients would always come back, the subscribers. Um, I had great relationships with patrons. I mean, the average person sells about ten to $15,000 a day in subscriptions. I exceeded 80,000 because I was just that obsessed at you know <laughs> subscriptions wow. and tickets and craziness. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, the Boston Symphony has a $98 million budget, annual budget. So yeah. So this is like child's play, these numbers. Um, and my boss, even though knowing that I was, you know, doing a good job um, for many reasons um, said to me that if I didn't show up that he would fire me and that I was replaceable and that, you know, blah, blah, blah. And then in that moment, I was like, oh my gosh, like I want to make a career and I want to climb this corporate ladder. But to for someone who's having a bad day, obviously having the power to take all of this away from me, like, no. And then that was the impetus to start my business and say, I will always be the best employee because I'm just a freak. Like I just have to do a really good job. Um, might as well do it for me. Sure. Yeah, that resonates a lot with me, actually. Um, backing up, when you started climbing the ladder of all these jobs, mm -hmm. how did you feel qualified to do that? How did you feel you could make this jump from I'm stagehand and a little bit later now mm -hmm. you're selling subscription tickets? What made you feel like you could make these jumps? And Because and, I feel a lot of people could say, I'm the stagehand, but like that's not what I do, right? Yeah. So what made you feel like you could take on this sort of this new thing and give it everything you got and have the confidence that you can do it. Yeah, I mean, for me, I've always been a very curious person. And I feel like that's something that I 
always try and keep at the forefront, especially when like life knocks you down or <laughs> teaches you lessons or, you know, whatever. Um, I always want to stay curious and stay, you know, committed to the course. And um, it really just stemmed from this is what this organization needs. So as a stagehand, okay, the musicians, nobody's coming to these concerts. All right, we need better social media. Okay, we need better marketing. Um, we need to make posters and hang them out, you know, at the local Starbucks. And like, okay, well, what is going on with our fundraising? Why do we not have a gala? Or why is this not happening? Okay, so let's go back. The musicians kind of look kind of weird. And then our social media sucks. And then the guy, the conductor doesn't do a good job of talking. And then our fundraiser is just not happening. So then it was always like going up and down to like, how can I problem solve? And I feel like that's the question that any major change in my career I've always asked. It's like, here's a problem. How can I solve it? And based on that, I've been able to just um, build different things around that notion. Yeah. Everything you just said is so anti what I've observed in the orchestral world. Oh, yeah. <laughs> right? And it's not a good or a bad thing. You just have, like, we are the musicians. That's, you know, a lot of those things, what you described, or management, management's job, and mm-hmm. or the board does a lot of that stuff. We all have our own roles. Yeah. Um, I feel quite a bit like you, actually, in that um, whether there's problems or not, I'm always thinking, like, what more could be done? Mm-hmm. You know, what more could I do? And even if it's something as simple as, well, I, I feel... You know, I kind of crave feedback, right? Yeah. I kind of crave knowing if something is working or if it's not working. It's hard for me just to sit there and just wonder. And so uh, one of the things I started doing was just going out to the lobby before concerts. Mm-hmm. And I, I knew I didn't need to warm up for a long time. Everyone's got their pregame routine. <laughs> yeah. And so I just would talk to patrons. Mm-hmm. Sometimes, sometimes I wouldn't talk to anybody. You know, I'd be there in my tuxedo, you know, yeah. my tails. And I'd have my name tag, this is Ryan Beach, principal trumpet. And I would say hi to people and they would just like walk right by me. Maybe they knew, maybe they didn't know. Mm-hmm. But every once in a while, you get to talk to somebody who's super cool. Yeah. And then it was just uh, pretty amazing for my mindset in general. Mm-hmm. And to start to realize that all I had to do was just go out here and talk to this person. And mm-hmm. you get a little bit of feedback that people are really digging what you're doing. It, it kind of, yeah. it taught me a lot in terms of what a little bit of extra, yeah, how far that can go. Um, in any way, but in this particular way, just for me feeling like we're doing something that is worthwhile to right. the people that are listening to us. Yeah. And I mean, for me, um, being an artist and a musician myself, like I always saw that disconnect between the musicians and the management and the board. Um, I've been sitting on boards since I was 18 and I experienced, you know, ageism and all the things that, you know, we talk about um, that is happening in our industry. And for me, the impetus for that though was, if I want to see more women sitting on boards, I have to right. sit on a board. No, but if I, be better than you, yeah. Yeah, if I want to see greater social media, better connection, uh, better marketing. Um, I was a part of the initiative of the Boston Symphony where they did the um, date night packages um, where they made them affordable for people under 20, uh, under 40, not under 20, under 40. <laughs> called 20, 40 under 20 or something like that where it's like $20 tickets if you're 40 and under. Oh, okay. Um, so it's like, this is a more affordable way to go to the symphony. Yeah. And, you know, we can create, you know, like, drink coupons and like all these things that like just make sense. It doesn't have to be super duper stuffy. Is that an environment where people are open to that those kinds of different and they'll try it out or is there? Yes and no. Yeah. Um, I feel like a lot of my career has been like, let me gather the data and show you what I mean. Um, and I feel like as an entrepreneur, that's been the biggest investment of time because you have to build that credibility and you have to build those results. Um, and that's, I think, my favorite thing. And we can talk about this later, but about working with Jeremy, where it's like, here's a trombonist and here's how you can be awesome. Follow these steps. And now we finally have the data to yeah, test yeah. that. Cool. This is all very fascinating to me in that I'm sort of, as with this podcast and stuff, I'm sort of starting to build a 
something. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I could call it a career, right? Like, I, I don't know, but we'll just call it something yeah. that is outside of what I do in the orchestra where I'm in control of, uh, I'm doing, I mean, I'm doing it all right now, which is fine. Not all of it. I guess I have some help with some of the graphic design, like I said, but uh, the amount that I've learned is unbelievable, mm-hmm. you know? And I feel that uh, we learn a lot in school when we're playing our instruments and, and getting better like that. And I think once you hit your job, you learn about the the repertoire a little bit, but I feel like this rapid growth, mm-hmm. well, it stops for two reasons. One, because like, like I said, it's, it's like about the repertoire itself and there's certainly growth to be done, but it's yeah. not like you're growing because you, A, the other part is you're not a beginner either anymore, right? Right. So what are your thoughts on the idea of people uh, being open to being beginners at things again and and putting themselves in that space that they're not great at something yeah. for the sake of learning and where that could take. Like, do you have examples of maybe even from your experience in social mm-hmm. media and all these things when you took on these new projects, uh, what was your feeling of, I'm a beginner, I'm not great at this. And how did you tackle that to become better? What were your, um, what were your systems, I suppose, in yeah. becoming better at those things? Absolutely. Um, you know, unfortunately in music school, you don't learn about taxes or business or, um, you know, finances in general. And for me, feeling like I am, I have a very expensive hobby and not a business for the first couple of years um, was, you know, very, very humbling. I mean, I come from entrepreneurs, entrepreneur parents, um, immigrant parents that are entrepreneurs, grammar, um, <laughs> and, um, you know, seeing them be so successful and so good with their money, you know, just really made me feel, and of course, we're always comparing our chapter one to people's chapter 20s. So I was like, my dad's been in business for like 30 years, like Karen, calm down. But I was always like, why am I not making a profit or what, what is happening? And um, it, really just stem down to like, am I willing to learn? And do I want to learn? And as a life coach, that's always the question. Like, do I even, is this something that I actually want to do? Like, why am I procrastinating this? Why, why is this happening? Um, and, you know, I've always learned that until you can manage what you have, you won't have more. Um, like at this moment in time, even though, you know, I am in business and I'm a good leader, like, if I were to manage Starbucks, it, we would go out of business because I don't know how to manage that. I, I need to learn how to manage what I have. Um, but it always comes from a place of, what is my why? And that has allowed me to just humble myself to a point where it doesn't matter that I'm a beginner and I don't think of myself that way. It's more of like, we have a problem to solve. This needs to get done. How are we going to execute this? Because the reason why we do what we do is so much greater than the current discomfort or the embarrassment or the humiliation. And I mean, I've made so many mistakes um, in my business down to like doing a trombone seminar in Spain and having a $40,000 bill. and not knowing what to do with that. Wow. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I've just, I've failed so many times. Um, and I feel like that's what's given me the the courage and the stamina to be a beginner. And I also feel like I'm grateful that I'm getting this these mistakes out of the way like a lot sooner. Sure. So we look at you and we see success, right? And then mm-hmm. we hear you say, oh, but I failed a yeah. lot. How do we translate that into someone who's living that failure right now? Right. So someone is, they're open to learning. They know their why, mm-hmm. but they're in that, in that period. We have a truck going by. I yeah. don't know if that'll pick it up or not. Downtown. Um, so they're, they know their why and they are, uh, they're open for learning. And they're, they basically know that they're in that period where they're in the, a beginner. What's your way of encouraging people to get through? I think Seth Godin calls it the dip, right? Yeah. This part where it's hard, really, really hard. Mm-hmm. And then 
it, it kind of picks itself back up. What's your recommendation for people who are kind of in the dip? Maybe it's not gigs when freelancing, yeah. or maybe they just just started learning something about social media and yeah. they're not the followers aren't picking up or something like that. Totally. How do you how do you encourage people like that? Yeah, um, consistency is everything. Um, time and time again, I want to pretend like it's not, but it trumps everything and anything. Um, so in the social media game, you know, it's really all about consistency. So showing up every single day to do the thing that you want to get better at. Um, and, you know, finding the group of people that will encourage you, finding your community. I feel like we, we have such an isolated career sometimes that we kind of forget that human, the human species needs a community in order to <laughs> live longer. Um, so, you know, just finding those people around you to support you. Um, I've always had a mentor and at the time it's like in, in different arenas. Um, so just having people breathing life into me and, and letting me borrow their belief when I don't have any for myself. Um, but at the end of the day, it's just showing up time and time again and doing the thing over and over consistently over anything. Yeah, that's very, I just, I just finished at the time of this recording, I just finished the war of art and that's mm -hmm. kind of what it talks about, right? Yeah. Like it doesn't matter if it's good. It doesn't matter if it's bad. You just need to show up and do the work and yeah. let what he calls the muses, right? Like let them take care of the success or the failure of yes. that, but you should be concerned with the doing. So in that regard, social media is, is such an interesting uh, sort of a, uh, I don't know, I guess the, there's two sides of the same coin, right? It's a wonderful opportunity to share and it's a wonderful opportunity to communicate, but also like we should be careful about what we share, right? Because sure. not everything is worth sharing and, yeah. not everybody sh <laughs> and not everybody should be sharing everything that they have. So how do we, as people who want, I mean, it's not me, like I don't really fit in this category because I play the trumpet like pretty well. So all I have to do is record myself playing the trumpet and yeah. it's, I could put it out. So let's put it in the hands of someone who's in school and they would like to learn about social media, and, mm -hmm. but maybe they're not someone who can play their instrument just lights out to the point where they can compete with like the ridiculous amount of edited content that gets out there. Sure. So how do they start on social media in a way that helps them learn because they're a beginner, mm -hmm. but it doesn't potentially hurt their long-term image or reputation because they're not posting something that is of the quality that it may need to be, if that makes mm -hmm. sense. Does that make sense? It does. That, that's kind of zesty. And I agree <laughs> and disagree, um, especially working with emerging artists. Like I feel like what you put out in the internet, of course, has to be professional and has to be of good quality and has to be strategic, but you just need to show up, period. Um, and it's a memento. Like if you go to my YouTube channel and you look at the first videos, they're awful. But now, you know, three, five years into mm -hmm. the recording process, like I can usually <laughs> speak well on camera. Um, and it's just like, just, just showing up and doing the thing. So again, I feel like for social media, it's it's a matter of like, where are you right now in your career? Um, people need websites. People need a place where people can go find you. So what it is it? What is it that you do? Whether you're in school, whether you're a beginner, wh what is happening? Let us know what that is. And it doesn't matter what that number is on your following. You have an audience. Like you're an influencer. If you have one follower, you're an influencer. Mm. And I don't mean it like in the normal social media sense. Like we're not, you know, selling like skinny detox or whatever, um, <laughs> yeah. skinny tea, whatever it's called. <laughs> um, but you know, you, you have to show up for the people that have already showed up for you. And I feel like we all worry about the numbers and you know how many followers and the engagement and all this stuff. And well, yes, it's very important. When you first start, it's just a matter of like post three to five times a week, Monday through Friday. Um, 
show up for your audience. Everybody has a Throwback Thursday. So start there. Yeah. Picture and diapers, whatever. Throwback Thursday. Um, everybody can do a Music Monday. So what musical thing is happening? If you don't want to play, um, come to my orchestra concert at school or come to this thing or here's a, a boomerang of me trying to practice. Like, especially since I've taken some time off my instrument, whenever I go back to it, I'm not going to post something about me playing. I'm going to put the boomerang. Like, hey, I'm trying to find a read, everyone. Um, so that kind of thing, I feel like it is the first step with social media. And then of course we can get into the nitty gritty of how to do it. But I think it's just, it doesn't matter where you are in the spectrum of things. You just have to show your face and show up and people will come. Sure. Do you think having, so you mentioned, you know, Music Monday, Throwback Thursday, there'll be, you know, uh, something Friday, whatever. Yeah. Do you think these are good things to do to help guide the kind of content you're going to create for these particular days, if that makes sense? So if Absolutely. you can come up with, you know, Music Monday, Technique Tuesday. Trumpet Tuesday. Yeah, Trumpet Tuesday, whatever it would be, right? <laughs> like, but that, for me, I'm trying to do that right now. Uh -huh. And I'm sort of experimenting and it, and it changes as it goes, but I had a pretty solid plan for what I was going to post five days out of the week, yeah. you know, the, the, the weekdays out of the week. And it helped, really helped me guide what I was going to do. So I had something for each day and then I thought of a piece of music mm -hmm. and then I thought, okay, which, like, which parts of these pieces of music will fit Melody Monday or, sure. you know, whatever, Tip Tuesday? What, what would it fit? And so do you have any more recommendations on top of that or do you feel like that's just sufficient in the way it was no. described? Oh my gosh, this is like my favorite thing. Um, our company manages 30, 45 different social media accounts. And if we had to just like on Monday decide what to do, we'd be go crazy. Um, so we have these social media calendars that I'm happy to share with you and, and your audience um, for the entire year, calendar year from January to December. And um, we fill it out at the beginning of the month for the coming month. So this gives us an opportunity to plan out what's happening. And before anybody says like, oh, it's inauthentic, blah, blah, blah. No, like we put some placeholders in there. Like, you know, if you're going to be in Nashville, you don't need to know exactly what you're going to do, but you'll probably take a picture with me. You'll probably take a picture with Jeremy, with anybody that you're interviewing um, or hot chicken or, you know, whatever you're eating. <laughs> um, so you know that that's happening there. But um, I typically have, you know, like the hashtags that I'm going to utilize. So hashtag Music Monday, Tip Tuesday. Um, I like to find a balance between what the objective of the career is. So for example, in your case, um, you know, the Music Monday would probably be related to the orchestra or to the Petrushka thing that you're doing. You know, a Tip Tuesday could establish yourself as a pedagogue. So maybe like, hey, this is how I travel or this is how I keep my chops up to date or whatever. Wednesday could be a Wisdom Wednesday, a Woman Crush Wednesday. So here's a good quote. Here's a book that I'm reading. Here's this new thing that I bought for the podcast, a throwback Thursday. Um, and then a Friday fun day or just a fun fact Friday um, where you develop a sense of like normalcy and relatability to your audience. Um, and you use the the days of the week to connect with people in that way. And social media is very emotional. I mean, every time I give a lecture on this, it's like half the room hates it, half the room loves it. And it's like, okay, yeah, but it's a free resource that we have. And I'm- Yeah, emphasis on free. That's the, that's the part that I think is yeah. the thing we should all really consider as why it matters mm -hmm. is because, yeah, it takes some time to figure it out. And there's people who are really good at it. And there's people who have no idea what they're doing, but to sort of dismiss it I feel the orchestral world especially yeah. does this because there's there's been ways that we have advertised. Mm -hmm. And to have this free resource that all you have to do is just try Show some up. stuff out and figure it out. Yeah. Like it seems like it's kind of a no-brainer that it should be a, a huge part of what ev any organization does. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I mean... 
I'm also overhearing like, oh, you have to pay to play and the algorithm and whatever. And it's like, I mean, if you post once on a Monday and then don't post again for two weeks and then you, your post doesn't get as many hits the next time you post, I mean, obviously you didn't show up. So um, it's just a matter of getting organized. And I feel like the social media calendar takes the emotion out of it. And I'm not, I'm not doing anything based on how I feel that day. Because when I feel like a hot mess, I'm like, well, I don't want anyone to know yeah. about this like inspirational quote or like this thing that I'm doing. It's like, no, no. So having that already done and ready to go um, allows me to just make sure that no matter what happens, I post yeah. when I'm supposed to post. And I learned all of this from just doing my homework and observing like, you know, Joshua Bell and Hillary Hahn. Like, I'm sure they don't have 365 great days. I'm sure there's a day where they're like, man, I'm traveling or I'm pregnant or everything sucks. And, but they still post and they yeah. still show up and it's still incredible content. Okay, I have a couple quicker questions yeah. for this. Um, do you try to get material in the bank? You know what I'm saying? So do you try to get like seven posts mm -hmm. all at once so that you have these things ready to post, ready to go? Or do you try to get them ready on the day or the day before? Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? Because yeah. I find, this is going to sound absurd, but I did, I think, three posts before I came here. So I mm -hmm. knew I would have the ability to do it without being like, where am I going to play the trumpet? But I had to like change my shirt, right? Because yeah. it can't be the same thing. So even trying, I try to even get down to this level of like, how would I make it look like these are three separate days totally. even if I'm doing it? So the behind the scenes part can sometimes look a lot less glamorous than... It, it always is, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And so I, do you recommend for if people are struggling to post on time to see if they can like... Batch their content? Yeah. Totally. Yeah. I'm a huge fan of that. Um, I do it with photos. So I have, you know, different folders of different things like, you know, today's the day to post about my dogs and about trombone and, you know, whatever. So I have the pictures already to go. Um, in my calendar, I have like a skeleton of what my caption could be about. But whenever I'm doing my personal social media, I try for it to be as in the moment as possible. Sure. Um, of course, if I'm traveling and whatnot, like I'll have it crafted ahead of time. But I already have a skeleton, so I know exactly what, what we're posting, what the picture is going to be um, the day that I have to do it. Yeah, so basically what you're saying, and like I said, I have a couple more questions after this, but even just to sum this up, it's just having a plan. Yeah. Right, Always. which is the same thing as on an instrument, right? Having a plan of how you're going to approach this piece of music, having a plan of how you're going to structure your practice that day, maybe structure your practice throughout the week. The more of a plan you can have, I feel two things. One, not only will you be able to be consistent, but then two, if you fought, if you execute your plan and then something doesn't go right, you have like kind of an observable thing to say, oh, that didn't work. I'll change this variable. Right. Right, maybe I'll post it at a different time during the day, or maybe I'll totally. post a different, like a video instead of a picture. That mm -hmm. makes it a little bit easier, I think, to change one or two small variables and say, okay, this kind of worked. Can mm -hmm. I make that better? Versus I just have to keep doing something different every single time. Well, that's my point with data too. Like, I wish I would have started this sooner in my career, like gathering the data. Like if I have a social media calendar and I know what's happening in March and Karen of March 2018 versus Karen of March 2019, like what did we do? What what was the content that we posted? What did we learn? Um, when I started the the video part of the business three years ago, it was like, okay, this is we are only seeing video in a concert hall or Medici TV. And it's like, those are extreme examples of like awesome stationary camera and then like freaking elaborate lights and all this stuff. Um, like what is the in-between? So is it effective to post a longer form video? Is it a 60 second clip better? So it's, it's that kind of homework that yeah. that you do that that makes this so much better. And just having that information like, oh, this was a not a great post or why did this post about me holding a sign at my husband's concert do way better than this highly curated photo and this amazing caption? Right. I don't freaking know. So like now <laughs> I can go and compare. Yeah, and 
this is the part I think of sort of entrepreneurship and running a business that makes it so the idea of if it, if it was easy, everyone would do it. Right. This is the real, from what I'm learning, this is the real nitty gritty part of it is it's kind of so much more of a full-time job yeah. for me. It, it's just, you're constantly thinking. And so we should touch on this. I got to finish my, my social media thing, but we should touch on how to balance it. Yeah. Because uh, I even struggle with that right now. And I love your tips. I know Jeremy has talked about, uh, in your guys' interview, he yeah. talked about how to balance it. I, I'm very curious because I, I struggle. And I would love to share my experiences. Totally. Anyway, uh, how, many, how many hashtags? Should it be as many as possible or should it be only ones that are like expressly relevant? Mm -hmm. Do you have, you know, you could do trumpet, trumpets, trumpet, something, trumpet, like <laughs> you could do that. Yeah. For me, that's actually worked pretty decently, uh -huh. you know, but I also see other people like Jeremy, you, you don't have, you know, you don't have 30 hashtags. There right. are a couple of them that are relevant and you also have much bigger, you know, social media accounts than I do. So I was wondering what your yeah. tips on that are. So, um... Hashtags are two things. One, they were a way to categorize content. So like YouTube was originally built to hub videos. Um, the hashtags, you can create your own hashtag. And once you click on it, all of the stuff pertaining to you um, is going to be in this hashtag. So I like to have a balance. So the max is 30. I like to have 15 um, and seven and eight or however you wish to divide um, I would say eight of those, you know, your own personal hashtags. So I have like Karen Cupidus Network, um, Karen Music, you know, whatever. And then like more global trending hashtags like Throwback Thursday and, you know, Women Crush Wednesday, things like that to kind of find a balance between just mainstream media and then a more niched market mm. with the instruments. Um, trombones of Instagram, trumpets of Instagram, all of those are really great. Um, I just wouldn't only do those because those hashtags are so large. If you search them in tags on Instagram, they have millions and millions of, of posts. So then yeah. you're Stuff gets lost in the newsfeed. But how do you? Who would be searching for Ryan Beach's trumpet? You know what I mean. Like if there's less than a hundred mm -hmm. on there, how do people find? How are people finding that? Yeah. Um, well, you're doing it over time. So they build a significant following. But for me, the goal isn't for people to be searching that. Um, I have. For example, um, I used to work with Carl Patuck, the principal horn of Detroit Symphony, mm -hmm. and his last name is weird, and it's weird to spell. And I have also have a weird last name, so we did Carl Horn, Detroit Horn. Um, Carl, okay, I can't spell his last name. I can't find him. Detroit Horn. Yeah. Carl Horn. Like sure. those names and, and the combination of things help people find you that way a okay. lot better than a, a global hashtag. And then do you understand how to get on the Explore page? On Instagram, the one where it's like the the little magnifying glass. Yeah, yeah. I don't, I kind of understand that, but if you have like this is what that is, because I recognize it's like not something you necessarily a hundred percent maybe can control. Yeah. But there are variables. I imagine that if you know what you're doing, you have a greater mm -hmm. chance of showing up. If you have any advice on that, because that's yeah. where you're going to get the most amount of exposure, right? People are just happen to be searching. Totally. Um, that just happens with time of day, trial and error, and and the hashtags. Yeah. Um, I always like to tag a location, especially on my stories, because that gets me on the location story. Um, the same thing with um, the venue that I'm in. So like if I'm, you know, at barista parlor here in Nashville, a coffee shop, and I tag them, I tag them on the story, I use a hashtag with them, I'm more likely to be shared onto their social media, their story and the local area's place. So we're in the Gulch right now here in Nashville. So anything Gulch related, we'll find that. And then that's how we can get connected. And you found that to be effective? That is effective. Yeah, interesting. Because I've read the same thing. I just always wonder, is, mm -hmm. is this actually going to... No, it, it happens. So um, if I post at work and I tag the Alice Stevens Center or something like that, or if I, when I pass it, when I tag, when I'm at home, if I tag Hoover, Alabama, mm -hmm. 
You think, okay, interesting. That'll get you on the stories. Um, another thing is, you know, it's a social network and there's so many antisocial people on this network. And <laughs> I feel like if we would just go and comment on other people's stuff and of course be genuine, but you know, if we're, we're searching for ways to meaningfully engage with others, that's how the following actually grows. Like I... Mm. Made, I, I did an experiment a couple of years ago because I've been helping people build their social medias for years, but I didn't have my own personal to reflect that. And I actually gained 10,000 followers in one calendar year and I didn't do anything different. Like I wasn't you know, posting anything crazy or scandalous or it wasn't just all videos, but um, I went in on the magnifying glass and I would search hashtags and tags and people and go down rabbit holes. Like who is a trombonist in this part or who are the people in this region or what are the manufacturers, you know, like Edwards Instruments, like what, what are they doing? What is their little niche? What is the product? Dennis Wake, all the things. Um, that's a train, if you yeah. guys can hear that. <laughs> Next to train tracks. <laughs> um, and, and that's kind of how I was able to get that following. And it's not a follow and unfollow situation. It's like, I'm actually like interested in what this what is happening here and I want to have conversations. Let me go follow sure. these people and comment and all of that. So then that is then that much more time you're spending. Yeah. So then how do you this is this is the biggest question I has how do you balance it? Because for me, uh, I have an I'm sure like you, I have enough things oh, yeah. going on in my day that I kinda totally. I do my posting. Mm -hmm. I kinda hang out um I'll maybe hang out. Well, my plan right now is to hang out for a little bit and then I kind of got to put it away, right. you know, or else I can't do it. So how do we, do you, I, there's probably no system for this, but what are your strategies for trying to maintain like the amount of basically yeah. just physical time you have to spend curating it totally, with totally. also <laughs> living, <laughs> you know, for me, I have two kids, I have a wife, like this is the most important part of my life, but it's, you know, social media and trying to help people it's not more important, but it's certainly important to me. Definitely. And uh, I was just curious what your thoughts are on how to balance that. If yeah. you've had any experiences where it went south and you kind of made these changes so that you, uh, and, and for me, but also for anybody else who yeah. is struggling with that. It's really a little bit at a time. So for me, I do it twice a day in the morning for 20 minutes and in the evening for 20 minutes. Mm -hmm. And I mean, I have... I just discovered this the other day, which is gross, like seven personal Instagram accounts. My dogs have an Instagram. Like everybody in my life has an Instagram that I manage. Um, and I have two podcasts. So it's just a lot. So I feel like not doing a bunch of stuff and doing none of them well, I have to craft my time. So 20 minutes here, 20 minutes there. It's the same as like when... I'm recently getting back into exercising and when you go and like just kill yourself for like a couple hours one day and then you can't exercise the rest yeah, of the week, yeah. people get oversaturated with social media and then they just have to, they have like a mental breakdown or they have to like step away or, you know, whatever. Um, so I find that just 20 minutes here, 20 minutes there, yeah. scheduled within your calendar. Um, I love this book called The Slide Edge and the greatest thing from this book is things are just as easy to do and just as easy not to do. And that is the key to social media. It all, but it, sometimes it's very easy to feel that if you don't respond instantaneously to something or, um, yeah, if you just like put it down for a second, uh, all of a sudden, like not your following is going to disappear, but if you're mm -hmm. not there for them, and obviously you're not necessarily there for them, but putting yourself out there like that, you are yeah. saying, I'm here for you. Like, if you have a question, send me a thing. And that's where I feel like I struggle the yeah. most is I get a message from somebody and I'm like, oh, I'll just like answer this real quick. You know, we'll be we'll be with some friends or something like that. And I'll get a message from somebody about something I've posted. And it's very difficult for me to just put it down yeah. and not and not answer because I feel like that person has an expectation. Yeah. And maybe that's, I mean, I know I'm putting that on myself. That's yeah. not a real thing. 
But I feel like that's one of the hardest parts to do it for only 20 minutes to say, all right, this is as much as I got done in 20 minutes. I'll have 20 minutes later tonight, but that's it. That would be difficult for me. Yeah, I have a psycho calendar. Like I have every hour of every day accounted for and there's contingencies in there for when those moments happen. Like if Jorgen van Ryan, the principal tribunus of the concern about private messages me on Instagram, like I'm going to answer that immediately (laughs) and like freak out. Um, But, you know, I, I have to... It's been a year for me of unlearning what it is that I'm supposed to do versus what it is that I want to yeah, do. Absolutely. What is actually bringing, you know, revenue into my business, what is fulfilling me? Cuz that's the hardest lesson of the year. Like success and fulfillment aren't necessarily sometimes the same thing or they don't come from the same place. Um, so realizing that, okay, this is what's happening on social media and it's totally authentic and it is for my business and I'm serving others and I'm passionate about this, but it's also not my life. I have other things that I have to prioritize. So then I have two questions then. Mm -hmm. We're going to, this is going to help segue us into the real stuff that I really, really want to talk about with you, which is what defines success to you Mm -hmm. and how, gosh, this is going to be such a, what, let's just, (laughs) let's just answer that question first. Cause the other question I have to like kind of craft it into a thing that makes sense. So what would define for you, it it can be a long answer. It can be kind of a short Mm -hmm. answer, but to you, if you were to, at the end of your life, to say you were successful yeah. right now, because yeah. it will change, I'm sure. Yeah, it has. Yeah. yeah. So right now at this moment, what does that what does that mean for you to be successful? Yeah. Um, I think it means two things. One, to be happy and another to have time. I feel like time is my greatest currency and not that I'm, you know, like financially all set or whatever, because that's definitely far from it. Um, but I feel like having the time to do the things that I actually want to do and making sure that I'm not wasting my time worrying about things that are out of my control or where I am or what people are thinking of my career or my parents or like where I should be or I'm 29, I should have, you know, 10 kids by now, whatever the Mm -hmm. the stigma is, wherever it is that I am. Um, I just want to have the time to make sure that I am enjoying, enjoying what it is that I'm doing and that I am more importantly than anything, happy, like a happy individual because I spent so much of my career killing myself to get all the experience, to do all the things, to make other people's lives better, but I've neglected my own. Do you do a sort of a, do you ever take stock of how you spend your time and to decide, oh, this thing I was spending my time with is not the best use of my time because it's not producing whatever kind of results. Mm -hmm. Do you do that kind of thing? Yeah, every week. Um, I track everything. I track how much I cry. (laughs) (laughs) I track, have I had a meltdown yet? Um, I track my time, um, business, personal, health now. quality time with my husband. My husband's a touring musician, so it's always crazy pants. Um, my dogs, everything, my mm-hmm. family, things that bring me joy. And my education is a really important part of my life. So if I don't listen to a couple of podcasts, read a book or do something like that builds me up every day, I am a crazy person. So yeah, yeah, yeah. I've I've really I've really started to understand I can say it so easily that I just can't think my way into new information. I'm <laughs> I, I'm so shocked. It took me as long as it did for me to realize that. And it started with uh, my wife, Kathleen, picked up the uh, the talent code and she read that. Mm-hmm. And then I read it. And before I read that, I didn't have a book, but I knew I wanted to start doing it. So I went to James Clear's website, mm-hmm. uh, who wrote Atomic Habits for who, those who don't know. Yeah. And I found this article that says the simple effective method I've used to read over 30 books this year. And all it was is you just read for 30 minutes every day. Yeah. And I was like, I, I can do that. And so I made this pact with myself. I just can't, I can't do it if it's later in the day because I'll just have other things to do. So I just 
was like, you know, I'm gonna start getting up at 5.30 every morning. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it's like six, you know, <laughs> but just to get up earlier before everybody else in the house, even before the kids get up, because yeah. once they're up, everything is about them. Right. And I don't have my, you know, I have my time, but if something happens, you know, so I know for sure, no matter what, if I get up at 5.30, I'm gonna be able to read. And I got through like four books in a month, which is more than I've read in the last 10 years of my life. That's amazing. You know, and I am a different person, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, yeah. like exactly what you just described. Like I now value this so much more than I, I ever have valued it, but only, and this is gonna be a big part of the second question. So I'm trying to set it up nicely <laughs> only because I now identify as somebody who wants to learn, right? Yeah. I was not that a year ago. I was not someone who said I should learn new things. I was just somebody who was like, let's, well, I was like a dad, you know, that was new to me, but let's say back, you know, two, three, four years ago. I was just somebody who's just like hanging out, yeah. you know? Which is good, this is cool, right? I was just like, you know, I go to work, do my thing, work really hard, and then I come home and like play video games all day or something, right? Mm -hmm. Whatever it was. And now I'm really in this space of identifying as somebody who I wanna learn, I wanna grow, because yeah. if I do that really hard, I not only have that information, but I can show other people that it's possible for them to do it too. Yeah. That's a huge part of like what I would like to do. Yeah. And that is gonna, that's the second question I have for you is right now in this moment, what do you identify as that has allowed you to create these like insane scheduling habits and mm -hmm. like the kind of persona you try to be and the vulnerability you carry on social media? Sort of how yeah. do you identify as a person that allows you to have the motivation to make those kinds of habits reality that then turn you into you. you know yeah. I mean? Does that make sense? It does. Yeah. It's like, it's a really great question. Um, I feel like I really want to be able to serve others and to provide this information. And that requires me to be at the top of my game. Um, my my goal, if I could pick like a human that already exists, would be like the Brene Brown of music. Oh, I love Brene Brown. Oh, I'm yeah. obsessed with her so much. Yeah. Um, <laughs> oh God, like everything about her just gives me chills. Yeah. Um, and I, I really need to become the person that has that kind of discipline. I'm already doing a bunch of research and, you know, just making sure that I am educating myself and growing and not being complacent because something that happened to me in performance was I went to Interlock and I got so ahead of the game and then I stopped because mm. I was already ahead. And it's like, it's not that it's a competition or a race or anything, you know, you're in your own lane and my only competition is me, but just making sure that I'm still sharpening my skills, no matter what the success looks like, no matter what the perception is, because the perception is always that it's amazing, but sometimes it's, it's really not. Um, and, you know, that I could provide that kind of eye-opening experience because I've personally lived it. Like, I don't love teaching from theory. Like, you know, who do you want to go to war with? Someone that knows a lot about battles or someone that's been to war, sure, like a sure. warrior. So it's like, yeah. I want to live and learn all these things and experience them, which I have this last decade of my career um, to then be able to be like, look, if I can do it, so can you. And I think too, with reading books, especially for the gaining of knowledge. Obviously you can read for entertainment and read right. for pleasure, which is a hugely important thing to a lot of people. Totally. At this stage in my life, I'm reading purely for growth and learning. Mm -hmm. And in these ways, I just, as I'm reading this book, uh, again, like to reference uh, the war of art, right? When I read that, I feel like a total beginner. Mm -hmm. When I listen, when I read how this, how much this person has, Stephen Pressfield has thought through these yeah. ideas, Atomic Habits, how much of an expert he is. And then he recommends these other books of people who are experts. Yeah. And you realize, okay, I've learned a lot, but I, you're going to essentially be consistently in the beginner phase yeah. and absorbing new information, which I feel is a very important that people basically, what I've learned is, although I may be a quote expert at the trumpet, 
I need to always in some way be in the beginner phase or else I'll just, like you said, I'll stop, I'll grow stagnant right. and I just won't know where to go. And that's kind of what happened to me Yeah, is I just got to a point in the trumpet where not that I was completed, but I wasn't sure how to get to the next step, Yeah, you know? And uh, I, I've just, yeah, I've really embraced the idea. Right now I'm reading Can't Hurt Me by David Goggins. Mm -hmm. I heard him on Joe Rogan's podcast. And I it's, love David Goggins. It's just like the most intense stuff oh, ever. Oh man, I love his intensity though. Yeah, but you just- Suffocating. You get done with that. And I mean, I'm on like the fourth chapter, but I listen to that podcast. And you get, whenever you're done absorbing his material, yeah. you're just like, I'm not doing enough. Oh yeah, I have no know? excuse. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> and it's just, what a cool feeling. What a cool feeling for him to be able to provide that for yeah. me. And then I think the more important question is, what am I going to provide for somebody else then? Yeah. If I can, if he can make me feel that way through a book, how am I going to be able to provide something of value to somebody else? And then I feel like that's where you start to get into identity mm -hmm. and knowing your why. Yeah. Which is hugely important for everybody, I think. Yeah, for sure. And you know what I tell my my clients is, you know, they're. I feel like we're in a in a political climate and in a world where the things that we want and the jobs don't exist yet. Like the future is so different than, you know, you maybe could have predicted 30 years ago. Um, and the people doing the things that you think you want to do don't exist yet. So you can't say like, oh, so-and-so is doing this. It's like, um, I think of this interview I heard from Neil deGrasse Tyson, where he was like, when I was, you know, in school, there was no African-American astrophysicist. I had to create that yeah. version through different people. And it's like, I always try and see like, who is out there that is doing the things, non-music related and music related, that I want to be doing and how can I merge them into that ideal person? And then I work and do the things to become that. Yeah, I think about this in terms of trumpet playing where I think about these principal trumpets that I admire and then I think, okay, what is their best attribute? Mm -hmm. And then I say, okay, this person has great articulation. This person, this balloon just fell down. <laughs> but one person has great articulation and I love the dynamic range of another person. And then this person's dexterity is great and you, uh, you extract. Yeah one thing from seven different people and then combine that into one super trumpet player. And mm -hmm. then you go, that's what I want to be. Right. Not just, I want to be a carbon copy, but I want to try to be this amalgamation of all of the things I respect from multiple different uh, artists. But now I'm starting to do that with books. I'm starting to say, okay, what's the best thing about this book? And what's the best thing about this book? And yeah. how can I, uh, you know, or social media accounts, you know, I looked at your social media account and I thought, all right, like she's got a different style than I do, you know? Yeah. Mine's like a little bit more right now, a little bit more business-like. I'm just posting videos, but what can I copy from that? And mostly from my, my podcast page, because I just didn't know. I, I didn't know how to create five pieces of content yeah. without trying to find like five different quotes from every episode. That was exhausting. Right, right. You know? <laughs> and so to, to start to realize I should start to provide value outside of the podcast, basically. Yeah. That, that made it much easier mm -hmm. to do. And then I took inspiration from the way you made quote pictures. And I think this is just important because it's fine to steal from other people, oh, yeah. but instead of stealing, trying to copy one person, like you said, making, it a, making a thing. And then, sorry, I'm rambling for a second, but it, it reminds me of a podcast I just listened to yesterday with uh, Seth Godin on Tim Ferriss's podcast. And I love that episode. He, he was, it was when he was describing that if you do something nobody ever has done before, that there's no value to assign to it. You can't, mm -hmm. you can't quantify how successful or unsuccessful it is because there's nothing to compare it to. So if you're trying to be someone who's making something new, like saying, oh, I made all this money, does not quantify success for that. Like, right. so there's gotta be some sort of, and like you were saying, being happy, making it so you can provide time to enjoy life. Like there's gotta be other uh, quantifiers Absolutely. of success than 
what we had just wealth, which is like the thing that our, I think our culture and society yeah. says. I mean, and also like the prestige of things. Um, I used to be so tied up to titles and roles and executive director and CEO and all this stuff. And at the end of the day, you don't go to bed with that. Like you go to bed with yourself. Right, and right. as I'm grateful though, that even though it was a, a long tumultuous journey to get over that, um, I, I always listen to, you know, the advice of, of my parents where they said, you know, you, you can't improvise experience. Like it's the one thing you have to go out and do. And, and I'm just grateful that even though I wasn't always an expert at anything or I wasn't good at it or it was embarrassing or there was, I, was, I failed forward a lot that I went out and did it and I know what it's like to do that. And now I can go and then do it better. Yeah, over and because over and over. it makes it you, right? It, yeah. it gives you your unique thing that you can then provide to other people. And I imagine, especially with your young, your emerging artists, yeah. I imagine that's part of how you help them find their their voice probably, right? Yeah. Or, or So this is transitioning into, into this idea. It's like, so what do you look for in emerging artists? What do you look for in your full-fledged artists? Is that what? Yeah, how, like what? your... Like the Jeremy Wilson on the what, roster, what, yeah, yeah, on the roster, I guess. <laughs> I, I, so, like, what do you look for in these people, and how do you help cultivate what they do? Like, basically, what is your mission within your uh, company? Yeah. Um, so, the thing I look for in in people in general is just that they're good people. Um, I'm so grateful that I'm now at a place where every single person that I work with is an amazing human. Um, I find that, you know, even the emerging artists, like a lot of people ask me like, why don't you audition emerging artists? And I'm like, because the people that want to get better want to be students and want to know this information. Like the people that come into the program and just think they know everything and are not good people, they don't last. So th it's already weeded out um, by simply, this is the focus of the program. Like you have to sure be good at what you do. Here are some steps. Here's how to build a business. You know, let's find your voice, but also are you a good person? Um, there's tenure in orchestras for a reason. And people just don't realize that. It's like, you can be the best, but if people can't stand you, then mm, what true, are you doing? Very true, yeah. Um, so it's really much that. Um, and the same thing with high profile artists. I mean, I was very fortunate at the beginning parts of the business. You know, I, I only worked with people in top five orchestras and it was awesome. And I got that perception of, you know, working with these people and then also what it was like to be these people. And um, it just taught me so much as to, you know, why we have such a crazy mental health epidemic in, in music and also in this country and all the things. And, you know, while they were the best at what they did, it saddened me that, you know, being a recent grad, you know, these are the people we aspired to. Um, and they had reached what we considered the pinnacle success, but they were so miserable. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I was telling you before we got on air that, you know, it was very much like having velvet handcuffs. And while not everybody's like that, of course, um, it just gave me the, the, the thought like, well, maybe I need to be a life coach. Maybe it's so much more than music. I need to be able to offer people the tools to cope, to goal set, to realize and unlearn that their value and why people want to be in their space is not because they're the best, but it's because they're actually good people. So what kind of, this is going back to the original question, which I just, I sidetracked. There's no doubt about that. <laughs> um, how do you get, what kind of training is involved or what's the sort of the path to being able to do it. I imagine you saying, I would like to start my own business is the first step, right? Mm -hmm. You just have to say, I'm going to do this or else you wouldn't be a person who has a business. But is there training to be to do what you do? Or mm -hmm. like, are there classes you can take? Or are there recommended resources? Oh, or, and then to become like a life coach? Like, how does somebody, totally. how does somebody come into being able to do this with an amount of credibility? Yeah, okay. So my bad, you had asked the question correctly and I didn't answer it properly. Um, 
honestly, I would say 65% of it was Google. Um, I feel like we're in an era where there's no excuse to not know something. That's very true. Um, YouTube has taught me almost everything I know. (laughs) Yeah. So when I first decided that it was going to be, it was originally a management company. Like I was an an agent 100%. Um, I looked at all the major management companies, you know, like Opus 3 and, you know, who was Joshua Bell represented, Hillary Hahn, like Renee Fleming, all these fancy famous people. um, And what were they doing? Um, So then that's how it started. And you don't need... Uh, I mean, of course, there's degrees in all of this, and I'm a huge fan of education, but I would have never learned in a classroom how to make sure that a contract is airtight. Like, I just would have never until I got, you know, in big trouble. Um, So, of course, if you can go to school, do that. But um, I just learned it off of Google and just seeing what other people were doing, what was actually needed. And I was lucky and unlucky in that nobody wanted to manage an orchestral musician because, I mean, I was playing Tetris with like Tanglewood schedule, BSO tour, regular season pops. I mean, it was like, when are we ever going to fit in a master class or anything? Yeah, yeah. Um, So, you know, just that was the part of, of the business originally that was just, okay, Google, let's just do that. And then when I started saying like, okay, well, how come I know what Yo-Yo Ma is doing, but I don't know what the principal chalice at the BSO is doing? And then I was like, okay, well, it's social media. It's a website. It's his images. It's the press that he gets. How can we find that? And then that evolved into like, well, I don't want to learn how to do websites because I just don't have that eye, but I'm a really good communicator. So I could be the liaison between the artist that definitely does not know what they need and the developer who's just like, I just need to do code. Um, so I was the person that was like, here's how we're going to do this. That's so cool. You're just the, you're like, big time the idea person yeah you're like yeah the vision behind it and then you know how to go which has got to be among the most fun creative possibilities of an outlet you know because Mm -hmm. every artist is different every artist has a different image that you have to figure out Mm -hmm. and then how to get that image out or that that message across yeah Gosh, that's got to be so much fun. It is so much fun. Um, It's also a really big responsibility because you have to be incredibly clear. Um, And the reason I love what I do is because I get to know the artist really well. So I also not only know what they like, can articulate that, we've had a conversation, we have rapport, but I also know what that next step would be for them in their career and how to help the idea that they have actually come to life and make sure that I find the right person to do that for them. And also, I guess my second favorite part would be that because I'm the middleman, we can keep the cost down so much because the reason the issues that I was having at the beginning was you know the artist is talking to the developer and then the developer is like all right well we've just added two hours because you wanted to see ten different versions of how to do the events on your website um, or the same thing with photos like oh I guess we don't have any photos with your instrument or oh maybe your tuning slide was pushed all the way in you look like a freak so it was like <laughs> things like that where I was finding that this lack of communication and just knowledge um, was costing people money and either the developer for, like, felt like they were taking advantage of the artist is like, I'm just sh- like shedding money and it's just not working. Um, so just being that middleman and being able to make it affordable and educate people as to what they need, how they need to implement it and what's the best use of their investment. I have like three questions in my head. I'm trying to decide which, ask one, which one to ask. First question is, have you had, what, what are some examples of ways that you have given an artist their potential next idea? Right, yeah. you were saying, because like obviously you would think that these guys would be in charge, but you're more than qualified <laughs> to think like, oh, maybe a CD project or yeah. maybe this these YouTube videos would be cool or maybe this would be cool, right? Yeah. So how, what, let's like maybe one example of how you've kind of encouraged an artist to, uh, it could even be, because I'm, I'm sure you've been doing it long enough now, you've seen some of the success, like where you were like, this might be a good idea. And then you've kind of seen the fruits of that and maybe yeah. that's evolved. Do you have any examples of that? Yeah, totally. Um, I'll first say that, 
that's the part of where being a life coach um, has helped me so much. Oh, interesting. Um, so I, I do have, I'm a certified life coach um, and I have a certification through like the John Maxwell program. And basically the reason I did that was so I could peel the layers because as artists, we're all like, onions and we just need to be peeled. Um, and there's so many things that have happened, you know, from childhood to, you know, the formative years to college. There's a lot of things we need to unlearn. Um, and I felt like that would give me the tools and the resources to be able to actually get to the core of what somebody wants to do. Um, and the reason I did that was because when working with these, you know, fancy people, um, they, they weren't doing the things they wanted to do. So when I sat down and actually asked them like, hey, what do you want to do? I got the whole like, I want to do a masterclass. I want to do a tour. I want to play recitals in churches. I was like, are you serious? And they're like, yeah. It's well, like, that's just only mostly because, right? That's all we know. Yeah. Like it's very, I feel like for being as creative as musicians can be in terms of interpreting music and coming up with making this, like we make these things that like shouldn't really be possible to do. Yeah. But we are we, we just have the few things that we understand that are possibilities. I think mm -hmm. that's why social media and things like YouTube, you see I, I've really the the biggest places sorry to interrupt you, but no, no, you're it's good. you're headed in the right in the same direction that I would like to go in, which is I see like the fitness industry. Yeah. And they've figured something out with YouTube. Mm -hmm. I mean, people make careers yeah. on YouTube alone. And then if they're not making a career on YouTube, their YouTube presence drives people yep. to care enough about them and what they're saying. So they're essentially giving away free content yep. so people will buy mm -hmm. their paid content. And I would like to just abandon what we were talking about so you can talk about this, which is a huge thing, which is you hear musicians often say, if you're good at something, don't do it for free. Yep. And if you value yourself, you shouldn't undersell yourself. <laughs> but things like social media and YouTube are essentially giving away yeah. your thoughts, and especially if you're doing like a tip or a technique Tuesday where you're mm -hmm. giving away teaching tips and stuff. We all know tips are not gonna replace teaching, of course. Right. But what's your thought on this? I'm going to give away a small sample size of what I do in the hopes that it returns itself yeah. in, in a big way. Because I believe that exists, but I, I think it's a lot of musicians are hesitant to do that for the the now gain. Yeah. Because we're not sure about the future gain. Do you have any any thoughts on that? I do. It's very zesty. And I feel like I'm going to get some backlash <laughs> on this, but I'm going to say it anyway. Um, I feel like being generous is the name of the game. Um, like I don't ever want to, if I know something, I want to share it. I don't want to keep it to myself because I'm going to be the only one that has this information. And I'll give you a personal example. Like I have an emerging artist workshop and every workshop in the world is only performance-based or there's new music ones where you just get a crash course on how to be a person. But what ends up happening is you just have a mental breakdown because it's just too much. Um, and again, they're all great. Performance workshops are important, but... I decided to create one where it was entrepreneurship based with a performance element. So the performance part of my workshop is, you know, it's always trombonist, but you know, I had a trombone day and Jeremy came and gave a masterclass. And sure, we talked about the repertoire and, and all of that, but we also talked about how to stand on stage, how to actually take a freaking bow, um, how to speak to your audience, how to connect with your audience, like how to make sure that- Basically what, the more important stuff. And, yeah. yeah. Um, and then also like how to do social media, how to take pictures, how to even talk to a photographer, a videographer. We did recording. I interviewed them on camera, on a podcast. Um, just in the room in front of other people. And they also gave a masterclass. They gave presentations. I was like, I want you guys to do a 20 minute masterclass on a topic that nobody talks about in the music industry. And I was literally bawling the entire time. People were talking about their own mental health struggles, talking about pedagogy, talking about all these things where I was like, if we had more of this everywhere else, like imagine the, the kind of industry we had. Um, but 
doesn't matter if I charge people. Doesn't, doesn't matter what happens. We've done three now. Um, they always cost me money, like a lot of money to put them on. And I'm just like, you know, the value that these people have through this experience and through being able to capture, like they took home photos, video stuff to put on their social media because that's what most people are missing. It's just videos um, that as a result of those kinds of investments and sacrifices, I now have, like, that's the biggest revenue of my business is the Emerging Artist Program. Like people want to come to learn and to do that and to be in a community of people that do these kinds of things. So it's definitely, you know, short-term sacrifice for long-term gain. Obviously the the goal is not to make the money because I mean, it's the lowest, um, like my hourly rate is the lowest there than it is in anything else in my business. But I feel like just serving people and giving out that content and just giving people sneak peeks of what is available. Um, and I feel like for, for musicians, especially people in orchestra, like if you want to be a pedagogue, if you want to teach at a university, if you want to give master classes, like you have to establish yourself that way. And you have to do things like that for free. Um, everything that I've ever done, um, that has helped my business get to the next level. I wouldn't say I only work for free, but I have for so long. Like there's a, a horn quartet called Genghis Barbie in New York. They're an amazing group. They've been around for a long time. I built their website for free. I paid money, thousands of dollars to build their website to show them how that would make a difference for their career. And it exploded. They got an article in the New Yorker. They did all this stuff. And while I don't obviously encourage people to be that dumb, um, it was <laughs> it was definitely like so eye-opening for me to see that you know, if you are actually investing in the things that you believe, putting your money where your mouth is, showing people and showing up, that people will also show up for you. Yeah, I mean, you just, that that summation right there is exactly what I was thinking, which is if you really care about helping people, then giving away some services or at a reduced price or mm-hmm. or some form of that where you're saying, so for me, the podcast is that, mm-hmm. right? I'm trying to get in touch with people like you. So people who have no idea who you might be mm-hmm. can hear what you have to say, which what you have to say, regardless of your business is very important, right? Everybody's got a story. Everybody's got something that's worth listening to. Yeah. And if they want to, it's like with Barbara's episode, it's so, it's so great because I mean, it's been, it, it, there's just a lot of people who would have not have any access to her who get to hear her thoughts and her yeah. opinions now. Right. Mm-hmm. And that's important. Right. And hopefully what you're doing, I mean, from a business standpoint too, is building up an amount of trust because yes. people believe that you're actually putting value mm-hmm. for them, Yep. which I, that's all I care about at this stage, right? I'm not making mm-hmm. any money doing this. I'm still working, driving to Nashville, like doing, you know, buying like nice, you know, I have like this whole thing is yeah. because I want it to be, I want there to be zero Really, the reason I put so much into it is I want there to be zero distractions yeah. from getting the message to people. That's mm-hmm. it, right? Yeah. And I, I believe that very deeply. And I think that is part of an identity, right? I yeah. was asking if it's part of your identity, that then guides all those actions. You know, mm-hmm. you don't even kind of think twice that you're doing something that everybody else would maybe call crazy. But then yeah. it comes back. And that's what you're describing, I think. I really believe it comes back. 100%. It may not come back right away. It may take a long time, but you've obviously experienced that then people are interested in the Emerging mm-hmm. Artist Program and probably just you in general, you, the, you're exposed to that many more people. And yeah. I just think it's a very important message that um, we don't have to be super dogmatic about the things yeah. that everybody has said to be true. It's mm-hmm. possible to think outside the box. Definitely. And you've and done that very, very much. 
Thank you. Um, one of my mentors in the last year as you know, I've <laughs> recovering from being a crazy person, um, ha- we did an exercise and it, it was kind of life-changing. It was actually two exercises. One, I imagined a life without my business because it got to a point too um, where you just like serve, 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 serve and you feel like you've dipped like we talked about with you mm-hmm. know, Seth Godin. And it's like, okay, imagine a life without your business or your career and your identity and, and who you are is just who you are as a person. Nothing with your skills, your accolades, none of that. Um, and I, I did it for two weeks because I'm insane. And when I got back to it, I realized that whether I would get paid or not, this is something that I would still do and that I was really passionate about. And then we took it a step further and we imagined, um, you know, I closed my eyes and did like a meditation and imagined what I would have accomplished at 65. And when I looked back at my career, what had actually happened? And that just really opened my eyes to, you know, we overestimate what we can accomplish in one year and underestimate what we could do in a decade. And even right now, reflecting back on the last decade of my career, if I were to look at 2018 versus 2019, it's like, ew. But then if I look at, you know, when 2009 to 2019, like the things that I have done, um, I'm just so grateful that I was able to do those. Um, And just coming back to, what do I want my legacy to be? What do I want to leave? I can't take anything with me. So what is that going to look yeah. like? And then showing up every day for that. Yeah, I mean, for an example, for me, uh, I was just talking to Kathleen about this today, that one year ago to like this day, I didn't even have the idea for the podcast, Yeah, you know? And to think how much of my life has changed, how much I've grown. Um, and I would love for your take on this. I've just become addicted to growth. Like I've yeah. become addicted <laughs> to saying I'm going to be a different person a year from now yeah. if I just grind for it. I don't know if you have any. I obviously you agree with that, but I don't know if you have any examples or just any like any thoughts on expanding upon that. Yeah, I mean, I'm just I want to stay excited about it because it also becomes kind of a burden. Like I feel like I'm not put together if I haven't you know listened to my three episodes and you know read a book a week or whatever. Um, but I feel like coming to it from a place of, I just want to be a better person for myself and for my family and for my community. And for me, it's, it's leadership. Like I want to be a good leader. Like, you know, when I was building my career, I didn't always have the best bosses as, as you've heard. Um, and I want to make sure that I have a company culture where you nurture people and people can fail forward and it's a safe place. Um, there's no musical emergencies here. Um, and, you know, just really thinking about that person and that leader and knowing that in order to be that person that can take this to the next level and, and change our industry, which is my goal, um, what, how do I need to become? And then the learning and getting you know addicted and then not addicted to the personal development journey um, just becomes a new norm. And it is what I do, period. So how do you differentiate when you're saying to someone that you want to be a good boss for them and, mm-hmm. and there's no musical emergencies, how do you differentiate between this person made a mistake and they have growth and this person can't do this job? Right. Or how would you, I don't know if you've ever, maybe you haven't like had that experience or something, but I mean, in a business in general, you're yeah. going to have one of those two, you know, maybe mm-hmm. someone who needs to grow and needs to learn and someone's not capable. Is there like a, a system you have in your head or that you've actually, you know, obviously don't have to say any names if it has, but is there a way that you approach that kind of thing to, and this just goes into sort of making decisions in general, right? Totally. Which things do you hold on to? Which things do you let go of? Which we should cover right after this question. Like this, this, ah, this specific question. Yeah. 
of uh, how would you differentiate between those? Yeah, definitely. Um, I actually just fired someone yesterday, um, and it never gets easier. And I'm like, <laughs> okay. I need to be better at this. Sorry, I didn't like... know it was. I didn't know it was bad timing. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> I'm just always like, I need to get better at firing, but I also don't want to practice because I don't have to fire more people. Right, so it's right. just a weird dichotomy. You but... stand in the mirror and fire yourself over and over. <laughs> actually, I recently got fired. Um, by one of my mentors, which is hilarious, but it was so beautifully done that I had no idea what was happening. It was just like a swift, like, you know, you're no longer a good fit, but you're great. And thank you so much for everything you've done and goodbye. I was like, okay. And then it was like, <gasps> and later hit oh, me, wow. of course. But it was, it is an art for sure. Um, it comes down to clarity. And this is one of my favorite Brene Brown quotes, like clear is kind, unclear is unkind. And I have to decide as a boss, like what part of this mistake was my, my failure to accurately communicate mm. what the expectation is and what part of this is just the person not, you know, doing, it. doing their job. Interesting. Um, and data, we have accountability charts in the company. We have, you know, timesheets, all the things. And it really just gives me facts because I believe that facts aren't feelings and feelings aren't facts. And that's actually a coping mechanism, how I get myself out of these like rabbit holes of despair where it's like, okay, I'm feeling this way about something. What is actually happening? How do I feel about what's happening? And then I basically talk some logic into the equation and then that just allows me to, to make a clear-headed decision instead of just living my life based on emotion. Yeah, so in, uh, you, hear, you often hear this in a business sense, but um, for your artists who may be experimenting with a certain, uh, maybe a new style, a new brand, like maybe they're on YouTube or maybe they're doing a different way of masterclassing or they're yeah. going to take a risk or maybe just somebody who's posting on social media. How do you determine something is not working but needs work and you should stop doing this thing because it's clearly not the direction you should be going? It's a similar yeah. question we just asked, but kind of more, a more broad answer if there is even really an answer, yeah, a specific it's, answer. It's kind of... Um insane. And these are the parts of my of my career where I pinch myself where I'm like, I'm going to tell this really fancy person that he needs to work on his speech. Like, that's crazy. Mm. Uh, or this like, you know, fancy college professor that, you know, he's not a good public speaker. Um, it again comes back to data and like, here, this is why this is not working. Um, here's what I've done in the past. You know, I now thankfully have a portfolio so I can kind of show people and, and give them evidence as to why this isn't good. Um, but also like figuring out why we made this decision, what was the goal and mostly it's not just completely omitting something. It's just pivoting. Sure. Like I need to pivot in this new direction and see what how this does. But I imagine there are times that in some way omitting could just be the... Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I just, I'm just curious because, you know, you hear this in business all the time. How do you know when to abandon an idea mm -hmm. and just start something completely different? And um, I really, I, I keep talking about this. It's so funny because I only have like, seven things I can say because I haven't read that many books and mm -hmm. I haven't listened to that many podcasts. So I've been talking about this a whole a whole ton recently, but I really like this way Seth Godin talks about like getting a product out there. Mm -hmm. And it relates to this, I think, which is you tell 10 people and if your product is really good, they'll tell 10 people. Yeah. And then they'll tell 10 people. And so if you tell 10 people and they don't tell 10 people, you either are not selling a great product and you got to start over or you're talking to the wrong 10 people. Mm -hmm. I think that's such a cool way to think about it because yeah. it's either the wrong audience or I really got to rethink. And I think in those circumstances, starting over can be, I mean, maybe, maybe you could pivot, but I feel like a pivot mm -hmm. would be good. But sometimes it's just like, I just, the new idea, you know, that's the yeah. entrepreneurial aspect. I'll just do a whole new thing. We're kind of stuck in music. Right. So it's harder to just start over and reinvent, I think. I mean, the only time I've ever abandoned something is when I didn't start it for the right reason. Hmm. Usually everything else is figureoutable. Yeah, okay. 
So going back to one of the questions I just uh, I just had, uh, I think I just had it. I don't know. Um, I was just asking you of a of a way that you maybe encouraged one of the artists um, to add something that maybe they hadn't thought, and um, that it sort of ended up panning out to be good. Do you have any examples of that? Yeah. Um, so I had said, you know, that's why I became a life coach to kind of like peel oh, right. layers. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Um, and you know, I just found that we often don't get asked what it is that we actually want to do. And I like to do use this, the method of, you know, the seven whys. So being a toddler for like a second and be like, okay, so I'm going to do this. Why? Okay. Why am I going to do this? Okay. Why? Why? And then until I get to like the actual root of the cause. Um, and you know, my, my most favorite and perfect example is Jeremy Wilson. Um, I'm so grateful that I get to work with such a brilliant person and musician, but just an overall, just, I, uh, he makes my heart explode. I love him so much, <laughs> professionally, of course. Um, and he he just really let me go to town and, and tell his narrative. And, you know, with him, you know, he decided to retire from Vienna at age 29, which is like, okay. Um, won his first audition ever, hashtag amazing. Um, and then he was like, I'm really passionate about education and academia. I want to be a college professor. So then, you know, the opportunity presented itself. He came to Vanderbilt. Um, but the narrative was never told, like why he left Vienna. And of course, everyone's like speculating. And it's, it was a couple of years before we started working together of him just being like, yeah, I'm just, you know, I went from being a rock star to like a teacher, but this is what I actually want to do. And it was like such a huge identity crisis um, for him. And then when we started working together, it was like, okay, let's peel the layers. What do you actually want to do? And it had been in his heart to do a record for a really long time, but not just any like standard rep record, but he wanted to commission works. He wanted to expand the repertoire. Um, he, you know, wants to write a book. He wanted to do a trombone festival, a seminar, like all of these things. So I was like, okay, how are we going to tell the story? And for me, the best way for people to relate to you and to hear your voice is through video of some sort. So that's how we decided, okay, well, we want to bring in quality musicians to the Blair School. How are we going to do that? Okay, well, he, you know, had his third child when we started working together. Um, you know, he's a dad and the studio was, you know, flourishing and all this stuff, but he still had to travel and recruit. Um, I said, okay, well, and of course this was a, a joint um, conversation. You know, he wants to help high schoolers and he realized that, you know, the rock stars don't have time to record standard, standard rep. Um, and you see, you know, someone playing just a basic piece, um, horribly and it has millions and millions of views because it's the only person that right. you know, took yeah, the true, time to true. record it and it's usually um, a young student. So he's like, I want to do this and I want to also create talking head videos that teach people like what are some pitfalls in, in the music? What are some things to think about and to do better? Um, and I was like, okay. So then it was like, nobody's doing these kinds of videos. We were getting video quotes and it was just astronomical. And it was like, well, this doesn't make sense, but we also can't have crappy video. We can't have crappy audio. And then from that, you know, having to figure that out came the synergy of like, okay, let's find a way to do video and to make it affordable and to educate ourselves through trial and error, through spending money, through all these things. Um, and now three years later, after starting this project, um, we have someone like Jeremy who has recorded these pieces and now people know, you know, have a better rendition of how to do that. He's speaking into them and he is, has his studio has become as competitive as Juilliard and NEC and all these like major conservatories. So it's been so awesome to see that through this small now looking back investment of like good video, giving up his time, taking the time to learn these pieces that, you know, he doesn't necessarily, is not necessarily going to perform or needs to learn to kind of help high schoolers and people that now it's just completely changed everything. Like now people can hear him and want to hear him played. You know, he has 
tripled and quadrupled, you know, asking price for anything Jeremy Wilson related. And it's not about the money, but it's crazy to see how much money you can make in this industry. And that's something that I'm really passionate about because it's not about the money, but money gives you choices. Um, And, you know, knowing that we are selling ourselves short and that if people want you, they will bring you. I mean, he's that's the best example then of not even just doing something for free, but actually taking a loss. Yeah, investing a little bit of money to do this thing that's giving your thing out for free, but then having such a huge mm-hmm. impact later on down the road. And my favorite part of that story is it's all built on the quality of what Jeremy Wilson does. Yeah, I mean, if you so then extracting from that, if you're somebody that believes you have a quality product. You shouldn't really be super concerned. If you really believe in your product, Mm -hmm. you shouldn't be super concerned about if I give a little bit of this away, is that going to be a problem? You know, if you believe people are going to want that part of the product, then giving some of it away or giving away a certain part of it so then another part can flourish, you would just believe that that would happen. Exactly. And I mean, that's how we build credibility. Yeah. And, you know, just showing up for people and, and being there and, and having people, giving people the opportunity to see what you're all about. Um, the feedback that I get from all of Jeremy's stuff is, you know, we can relate to him. You know, there's also incredible trombonists, you know, all over the world as well. But I know what Jeremy's doing. I know where where he wants to go. I'm excited about his upcoming projects. And this is and now speaking from a business standpoint, like this is the kind of following and, and tribe that you build. And then, you know, Jeremy could launch, I don't know, tissues and people would like freak right, out and buy right. them all. Um, we could do whatever we wanted um, and people would show yeah, up. You just because, build trust with the community. Yeah. yeah. You bought into it. Yeah. It's a, it's, it's just a it's a model that makes sense in almost every single industry, right? <laughs> yeah. But for us, it's revolutionary. And I just think it's because we're behind in so many ways that if you can kind of see the trends and what's working elsewhere and then just apply and then make it unique for music, of course, because like we have this unique product of people. Right. And like you said, it's not just his playing, it's Jeremy is the right. product. And also it's, I can see how some people would think it would be egotistical though to do that, right? That it's not about just the music, it's about like me. Mm-hmm. But people like connect with people, you know? Right. And it's, it, it, you have these concerts that you go to where you know this person and those concerts are always more meaningful, yeah. you know, or you have like people like parents who maybe aren't into music, but they'll come mm-hmm. see you play, you know? Yeah. And I think that's a huge part as like the connection of knowing somebody feeling connected to mm-hmm. somebody can help you feel connected to the music that they're playing. Yeah. And I feel like what Jeremy and I are passionate about is, is being a vehicle to offer whatever it is that we're doing. And, you know, we built the Vanderbilt Trombone, Trombone Symposium um, because we're in a, we're placed in a unique part of, of the country where people can drive here from, you know, up to eight states away. Um, and, you know, we wanted to bring people that these areas might not have access to. Um, and make it affordable. So, you know, we've brought people from the London Philharmonic, from the Concert Gebau Orchestra, and we have made it possible for these studios to come to Vanderbilt and have this value. And if Jeremy didn't have the platform that he did, people wouldn't know that these people are here to serve them. So a lot of artists tell me, you know, it's egotistical and, you know, it's all me, 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 and it's hard to sell myself, but that's where having a team is helpful because we make sure that that's not the message we're conveying and we don't believe that at all. Like it's, it's never about Jeremy. It's about what he's doing and how it's impacting other people. Do you think it's possible to do it on your own or is like a team necessary at some point? No, I mean, you can definitely, I'm, I'm all about DIYing it, but I feel like money and people's relationship with money does not allow them to seek 
expert counsel. And I feel like for me and in building my career and doing the things that I've been able to learn and experience through my company, it has happened because I've had to reach out to experts. And at first it was a coffee fund. You know, I'd buy someone coffee and pick their brain. And then, you know, I hired a coach and then I hired, you know, a therapist and then all these Mm -hmm. sorts of different people to help me build the thing and and continue to keep my head on straight. Um, You don't have to do it yourself. Like, and it's not that expensive either. So it's just kind of, asking. I feel like we as musicians just don't ask. Yeah. So what I've experienced is uh, this This podcast is my version of that, right? I just get to go talk to people about the yeah. things that, and I think the, to, to, I try to be as genuine as possible too. And I think the most genuine way to do a podcast is to just ask what I want to know. Yeah. And then people get to be on my journey with figuring out what I want to know. And so when you listen back to your old work, I can like hear I can like hear what I was thinking about at that time. It's yeah. very freaky, actually. <laughs> I was like, oh yeah, I remember caring about that, but then I moved on past that and now I'm here. Um, but the other thing that I've noticed, and this has been very overwhelming, is very few people have, I think two people out of the 50 that I've asked have said no. One of them was busy and one of them just was like, I don't want to do that. But everybody else I've asked mm-hmm. to do my podcast has been like, sure, let's like set up a time. Yeah, That's so crazy. Mm-hmm. It's so crazy because you get the idea the music world is not like that. Yeah, And then so for me, to, the, this sort of peripheral amazing thing that's happened is I've been then connected to just good people, like right. you said. And um, whether or not that takes me anywhere is almost irrelevant to me at right. this point. I mean, that would be cool if building some of these connections, you know, of course, like networking is super important, but just to get to know that there's like some musicians out there that care about the same stuff I do and I'm yeah. potentially part of that kind of community is very, very cool. And I think it kind of leads into what I would like to finish this interview out with as uh, you talked about being a life coach and that uh, we have mental health um, yeah. and you have your own... Just for everybody who knows, your podcast, the one I know about, I didn't realize you had two, is The Musician's Guide mm-hmm. to Being Healthy, Happy, and Wise. Healthy, I think. wealthy, and healthy, wise. Healthy, wealthy, wise. <laughs> um, and uh, she's got interviews with musicians on there, but then she also, like me, has uh, her own sort of so- solo episodes yeah. where she talks about uh, whatever topics are there. Um, and like I said, I listened to the social media one. I thought that was really fantastic. And then I know you also have one on mental health, which I know is a big, like a seemingly very important topic to you. So I'd love to give you a platform just for us to like, you know, it's just, because I also believe the the same thing. I have my own experiences with like dealing with my own demons in this way and kind of the expectations I feel like that were, not I put on myself, but because just kind of how the world is. So I don't know if you kind of want to riff for a second on what you feel like some of the issues that people face are and Mm -hmm. uh, we can kind of go from there. Yeah, totally. Um, So I think the first thing I'll say is therapy is amazing and everybody needs therapy. Um, And I would really love to just kind of open the conversation to to the stigma that that is because it's also cultural. Um, You know, my European clients are not no, like we don't do therapy here. Um, or, you know, even in, in Latin America, like we just, that's not something you do unless you're in Argentina, then everybody has a therapist, but that's separate. Um, and I learned that on the Anthony Bourdain show, actually. Um, so I just, I feel like the the biggest thing is our value comes from who we are and not what we do. And, you know, a lot of us are like, yeah, everything's fine, everything's great. But if you sit down alone with your thoughts for a second? Like, do you fundamentally believe that? Um, and, you know, it's, it's just really a matter of, of community and, and making sure that you are actually okay. Surrounding yourself with good people, having a mentor um, and realizing that 
you are already enough and you're already equipped with the things that you need to further your career. It's just a matter of unlocking them. Like my biggest belief in my company is everybody is already, you know, ready for stardom. It's just finding that one thing that is holding them back getting it out of the way and then just letting the person do its thing. Mm. Um, there's nothing wrong, nothing that needs to change dramatically. There, there is no, the, the notion that someone's going to discover you like totally ended with like Justin Bieber. <laughs> um, now it's just a matter of like, who do you want to be and how do you want to create that, that life? Um, and, you know, just really focusing on quality of life, even, you know, with the emerging artists where, you know, you, you feel like you need the, the struggle or the grind or the whatever. And it's like, no, ask yourself, like, what kind of life do you want to live? And are the things that you're doing allowing you to do that? And of course there's, you know, short-term, short-term sacrifice for long-term gain, but, um, you know, giving yourself a cutoff date to go all in. Cause I find in my research that a lot of people just half-ass things and, you know, you're not advancing in the audition is not because you're not good enough. It's because you didn't prepare enough. So it's just being able to have those conversations with yourself in a healthy fashion with the help of a professional um, and just making sure that, you know, who, who is influencing you. So primarily yourself, like I'm the person that influences myself the most. And then who are those next people that, you know, can talk to you and, and talk into you and, and are they actually helping you grow or um, just really evaluating your life essentially um, and how you wish to live it because, you know, we're not promised tomorrow. And especially with, you know, all the suicide and all the stuff happening, like just making sure that you ask for help. Like that's so important to me. Yeah. I mean, it certainly, what I've learned in my own is it certainly stems from your identity, right? Like how you view yourself. I always viewed myself as I have to be principal trumpet of some huge orchestra. That's like what I told myself that I wanted. Mm -hmm. I've been very open about this. I have a podcast about my Indian, my experience in Indianapolis, not getting tenure. Mm -hmm. And most, for a lot of people not getting tenure is like, oh, this sucks. For me, it caught, like, I remember the very first question I asked myself after I kind of like was like asking yeah. questions was, who am I if I'm not principal trumpet of the Indianapolis Symphony? Not like, what am I going to do? Or like, how am I going to make money? Yeah. It was literally, who am I? Such an interesting question, right? Because like, I'm Ryan. Like I have, right. I'm like a person now I know that has many other things to offer besides what I do, right? But to, especially in school, you know, you, you get a lot of your identity from the people you spend your time with. And it's, we all play these instruments. We all care a lot. And right. so people care. You get to the feeling that people care about me because I'm good at the trumpet. Right. Yeah, because, you know, and nobody puts that on you, but it's really easy to feel that way. And uh, yeah, I think your identity, then you can start to develop some good habits once you've sort of, okay, I maybe if I'm not defined by my instrument, what other things would I like to do, like right. you said? And developing those habits helps you develop like actually into that person and whatnot. And I just think... It's not often talked about. And one of the things I'm curious for everybody who thinks this is important is the idea of trying to cut out negativity. Mm -hmm. Are you a person that believes you have to cut that out? Or do you think it's possible to exist in spaces with people who are negative and be able to still succeed? Or Because you hear a lot mm -hmm. of people say, you just got to cut it out. Yeah. You know, what, or do you think it's possible? Or do you think people really have to cut it out in order to be able to fly the way they should? I mean, we all have negative brain bias. So meaning like, you know, let's say you're a New York Times bestselling author and then there's one negative Amazon review and you only fixate on that. Um, that's basically the story of our lives. Um, but I feel like for me, it was all about like managing myself and knowing that I'm only responsible for my feelings and my feelings alone, nobody else's. Um, so I lived a long time with negativity, but this last year has been like the great purge, fortunately and unfortunately. And I'm still grieving relationships that no longer serve me. But in my personal case, 
I had to cut it out. I, yeah. I could not keep being anchored by other people and other things that were no longer serving me because they didn't fit the version of that future person that I wish to be. Those kinds of people, that mindset is not, did not drive with me. So. Yeah, I completely, I completely agree. You hear this a lot in the fitness industry. That's if you want to achieve these goals, you want to lose weight, you want to deadlift a lot of weight, you know, whatever you want to do. You want to, and like, that's why a place like CrossFit is so powerful is mm -hmm. because you have this community of people that support you. And oftentimes, you know, what your environment is, is going to dictate your amount of success almost more than your willpower. It's like hard to willpower yourself past people that are right. like, oh, like, why would you care? Just like eat that, you know, don't yeah. be disciplined, you know, even if they don't care, having people that actively yeah. want you to just not do that thing, uh, I feel like it's very difficult to push past. And yeah. eventually you, you're just going to, I think like you're saying, be pushed up against a wall. That's like, either I continue with this person and I mm -hmm. never achieve my potential or maybe I consider maybe this person shouldn't be in my space, my house. I love that quote you put yeah. on your, uh, the one about paying rent. Mm -hmm. I forget what that, I forget the exact quote. Yeah, it was like making sure that, like it's not, the issue is not toxic people. It's just, you know, us allowing those kinds of negative people in our house. Our yeah, and that, and that they're not paying rent or something. I right, think it's right. a very well, it's a very cool way to say it, but I completely agree. It's difficult to deal with because sometimes you're pushed up. But that, like in your position, I think it's very cool because I would imagine you have a relative amount of control over that, you know? Yes. Like, so some places of employment or school, yes, you know, definitely. you don't have as much control. So mm -hmm. for those people, what are your recommendations if you have to potentially deal with somebody? Like you sit next to them or it's like another kid in your studio mm -hmm. or maybe it's like another professor or something and it's yeah. like, what are your recommendations when you can't do something about it? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm obviously always reminded of, of my privilege and just the awesome lifestyle that I have where I can you know cut things out and whatever I do want to do and don't want to do. Um, but I would say, you know, we're all fundamentally kids. And this is something that I've learned from my sister who's a teacher um, and, you know, we're all going through stuff and we don't know what other people's lives and, and what their issues might be or the baggage that they're carrying. So I find that, you know, gratitude and anxiety cannot coexist. So I make sure that I'm always grateful and that even when I'm sitting next to just terrible people like we've all had at some point in our careers, um, you know, just being grateful for, for the job, for being there, for the opportunity um, and just giving people grace like just, you know, you're doing the best you can. And, you know, for me, that, that brings me to, to something also that I've learned this year where it's like, and this might be zesty and get crap for a bit, whatever. Um, your new life is going to cost you your old one. And you need to understand that if you want to become that person, you can't live the life that you have in the past. And that includes the people around you. That includes how you talk to people, how you handle situations. Um, and, you know, thinking about, being mentally strong as well. Um, you know, I think of it like Navy SEAL training. Like they're not training to rise to the occasion. They're training to sink to the level of their training. So what is my worst day look like? I'm not striving for a perfect day because that's not going to happen. And, you know, I think I tell my kid, my kids, my emerging artist that, Jesus, um, <laughs> you know, when, when audition taking, it's like, you're not priming to like, whatever, you're trying to prepare yourself to a place where even if you just poop everywhere, like you're still going to win because your worst day is someone's, you know, ideal day. Um, so just making sure that that all of this is in alignment um, and that you first and foremost are comfortable with yourself and understand what is happening and just separate your facts from your feelings. Whoa, I just had another question and it, it was there. I was listening to you. It was so well said. And then I, I lost it. 
It was, oh, do you think um, this idea, so you're, maybe you're with somebody in work. Uh, work is going to be the best example. You can't necessarily do this with school, but say you work with difficult people. And uh, do, do you feel that sometimes it, it obviously it's going to be an example for personal growth, of sure. course, right? But do you think sometimes this can be a nudge in terms of like, maybe this isn't the thing for you and maybe it's time to think about a different thing? Or is it is it just like, that's the way it is, deal with it? Uh, yes and no. I mean, I work with artists, so crazy creatives all the time. Um, and there's days and, you know, unfortunately, sometimes my profession feels like a very thankless one where I'm, you know, the lunch lady or whatever, like I'm the party planner, glorified party planner, but nobody sees the three, four years of work to produce this product. Um, and I just find that I have to just love people where they're at. And it's so hard. And it's not a matter of like, I'll just deal with it. But it's like learning to love people. And if someone's being a jerk and that's where they are in their journey, just gotta love them, jerk and all. And deal with it because you're literally stuck there. But then until like what you just described, but then eventually what, what basically for you, what becomes the point then where it's like, I can't do this anymore. Like, how does that work then? Cause yeah. I, I totally agree that you do have to accept people for where they're at, but at some point if they're that toxic and you mm -hmm. have to remove them from your space is, I mean, that line is a, is a tricky line. It's obviously not going to be the same place for everybody, but um, yeah, that's like, it that, depends, you know, if it's an orchestra, and you then decide you don't want to be in an orchestra, then yeah. that's that's what you got to do. Yeah. No, I just, I mean, part of it is just for me specifically. I mean, I've really enjoyed playing in an orchestra, but I've realized recently, like we talked about this before, I'm not sure. I think I got into an orchestra because I thought that if I could get into like the Chicago Symphony, people would care about who I was. Yeah. You know, I think that's like why I did it. And also, this is a huge reason too, there's like more masterclass opportunities, mm -hmm. right? And more teaching opportunities and people would be like, oh, I want to take lessons with you and they care about your opinion. So I also saw it as a way to potentially help people, which has been very important to me. Um, that's also a train. A train. That's okay. also a train. <laughs> um, well, and so, sorry, I was just going to... Um, but I'm realizing now, I don't know if, like you said, the velvet handcuffs in some ways, because you're not in control of what's going on, it's, it, limiting is the wrong word, but it just feels like it's not about like personal, I mean, there is personal growth, like I said, but it's what's so attractive about these projects is I'm sort of, I was just talking to Will on the way here. And I think he was like, yeah, it probably seems attractive because you're in the beginner phase. Like you're learning stuff mm -hmm. about podcasting and reading these books. And then when you get to that point where you're maybe not in the beginner phase, there's not as much resistance fighting you in an orchestra that um, it can seem like the grass is greener, you know? Yeah. But it's like almost and that makes me feel like my identity is I just want to constantly be in the beginner phase more than I care about mastering something. Mm -hmm. I want to like learn as many things as I can. And that's like a weird thought too, you know? Yeah. Well, I'm passionate about kind of dispelling that myth that only if you play in Chicago, you're going to be sought out. Like you can be sought out right now. Yeah. You just have to make yourself available and have people know that that's what you're wanting to do. Because if you look at someone's brand and you don't really see that they're wanting to teach and give master classes and do that, then how are you going to know to, to hire them yeah, yeah, or yeah. call them for that? Um, and that was actually one of the reasons why I started my second podcast, which is called the Musicians Wellness Project. And it's actually a case study. It's insane. So I decided to partner with my chiropractor um, because I had to take time off the instrument because I had some issues with my spine that were messing everything up, everything else up. And I found myself... Um, 
July of 2018 in a doctor's office, just like bawling my eyes out in a chiropractor's office um, because I was in just insane chronic pain. And I had no idea that I was in this much pain. And they took x-rays of my spine and all of that. And, you know, I was carrying like 40 pounds of extra weight on one hip versus the other. Um, my Everything was just wrecked. I'm a Barry Sachs player. Um, so my hips were just, I don't even know how I was functioning. Wow. Um, it was so bad that they were like, if you don't get this fixed, like, Babies cannot come out of that. Um, so I was like, okay. So in that moment in time, I realized that, you know, I had put my health on pause and built this career. And I was like, okay, no, th this can't be the right thing. And also I can't just quit everything and focus on my health and, you know, be like, I don't know, like a lifestyle blogger or whatever. So I was like, okay, well, I want to create a study that is going to prove the thing that at the time was the most important to me, which is if I get my health to as close to 100% as possible, will it exponentially and quantifiably improve my career? Which is, again, all that I cared about. And then at the flip side of it is I wanted to teach my chiropractor how to play an instrument and give a recital, which she already did. Um, so she could see where the performance anxiety comes from because we believe that part of the mental health stuff and all the things that are happening with our bodies lie in our spine. Um, because if you think of, you know, the, the original Superman and, you know, the accident that he had, mm -hmm. it was, you know, a fingernail off on his neck and his entire body, body shut down. So it was like, okay, well, if I could, you know, eat right, exercise, have my spine aligned, make sure that I'm taking as much care as possible, removing toxicity from my life, um, my mindset, all of that was in check. Could this actually help my career? And it's been six months of, you know, working out consistently, eating right, going to the chiropractor, getting massages, you know, just really focusing. I nap every single day for 30 minutes. Um, I sleep eight hours. My priorities shifted mm. and my business exploded. And I'm in the initial stages of this case study. I'm like, okay, so I, and of course I'm like 85, I was 85 pounds overweight. I think I'm 75 now. Um, if I get to the weight that I need to be, what is that going to look like? And I've, I've already noticed like on photo shoots, on video shoots, like my energy levels are different. Um, my mental health is so much better. Endorphins are like actually a real thing. Yeah. I was like, no way. Like I don't want to sweat and feel better, but you do. Um, and, you know, just all of this coming from a place of we have to be healthy first to be able to function because we are our product. Yeah. Wow. That's such an interesting way to put it. That's a cool case study you just do on yourself <laughs> like that. Just see what happens. And I... It's a very progressive thing too to say like, okay, this was my original goal. Yeah. But now clearly, like we've seen enough to know we should invest further into this. That's very, very cool. And like I said, to do it, it's kind of what I'm trying to do with this podcast for me and and like the blog posts that I'm writing. Mm -hmm. So like a, a deal I made with myself after I finished The Art of War was that I would wake up at 5.30. Mm -hmm. I would read my devotional. And then I would read for 30 minutes on some content I needed to do. And then I would write for 30 minutes every awesome. morning. Just like, I don't care if it's good. I don't care if it's bad. I just, I would like to write mm -hmm. something. Maybe yeah. it'll never see the light of day. Maybe it will, but, um, and maybe it's on some content I just did, you know, to be able to regurgitate what I just read. And does it make sense? Did I understand what I just read? Right. Those kinds of things. And then just sharing that with people. Like, so like that will be hopefully my brand is like, I am just going to like share my process with you. And then you can see that the process isn't super complicated. You just like have to show up and do it. Like right. you said. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I think it's, uh, it's such an interesting part about what social media can offer mm -hmm. is the ability to like, connect us among those kinds of things. Previously, we thought we were alone in our, are like efforts to do this stuff. And yeah. now you see people doing it. You can be inspired by, you know, 
not the top of the top of the top, but just the everyday average person who's just trying. Yeah. And you can try too if they're if they're trying. I think it's a very unique and mm-hmm. very cool part of it. So I mean, we're all craving authenticity. And I keep, you know, learning time and time again, like people don't want to see my perfectly curated whatever. They want to see, you know, my hot mess day or they Mm -hmm. want to see my dogs. Like people can relate to that. Not many people can relate to what I'm doing. And it's just finding that balance and and that vulnerability back to freaking Brene Brown, Mm -hmm. like being vulnerable and and just showing up in that arena and and fighting the fight. And it's not about winning or failing, which was so empowering to discover. It's just about showing up and doing the thing. So last thing. Okay. I promise, because I know you got to go in a couple minutes here. <laughs> Last thing will be, I want to leave this with what you just said. I want to leave the listeners with who are thinking, I would like to be more vulnerable. I would like to show up more. What is a way that, like what's a way you can think that they can develop a habit or a system that would allow them to, I'm going to try this tomorrow. What's like a challenge that you mm-hmm. can think of that's like, maybe you have some that you do with your clients and stuff that are, that's like, tomorrow or for the next week, do this every day. Maybe it's read every day. Maybe it's write every day like we talked about. Do you have any other ideas of ways that people can show up and be vulnerable and challenge themselves to see what the product of of consistently doing that would be? Yeah, um, I feel like it, it all, again, starts with gratitude. So I have every single person that I ever talk to, the first assignment is get a cool journal that you like and you're going to want to write in. Pen and paper are your best friend. Um, write gratitude at the top, the date, and number it one through 10. I am grateful for blank. And at first it might be hard. Like sometimes there's days where I'm like, I'm not grateful for anything. And I'm like, my hair and my cheekbones. And it's just very superficial. And there's other days where I'm like, I'm so grateful for you know this life and I'm grateful you know for whatever. And then just get into that habit of being grateful, grateful and sitting in there with what you're actually grateful for. And, and you'll, you'll be very surprised with what are the things that actually matter to you. Do you need to A, fill out all 10 and B, is there a length of, like, should you sit there for an hour until you think of all, t- you know what I mean? Like yeah. if you're not feeling grateful for a ton of things, is it fine to put two things and should it just be like, sit for 10 minutes and think about this? Like, what are your recommendations? Um, I just like go like one through 10, you have to fill out all 10 and just the first thing that pops to mind. Okay. I'm, I don't sit there and meditate on that as I'm writing it that happens after and that's just a next step Um, the next thing that I would say is I recommend the miracle morning Um, I just did an episode on that too it's it was the the OG like 5 a.m. club, but it's this like awesome morning routine where you just do a couple of different things. You know, you're in silence, you exercise, you're, you know, journaling, affirming yourself, all of this stuff. And it just kind of sets you up for the day. That allows you to know what your feelings even are. Because thinking back to even being a life coach and being a very self-aware person, going to therapy, all the things, there was so much pain that I wasn't even aware of, physical pain. And I was like, what? how have I been living? Um, and I feel like we just mask all these things and put up all these walls and we don't even know what feelings are at, at a certain point, especially if things aren't going your way or maybe things are going so your way that you don't even know what to do with all the abundance. Um, just making sure that you're always in tune with yourself. Yeah. That's very cool. The Miracle Morning. Yeah, just check out your the podcast you did on mm-hmm. that. That's the Musician's Guide yeah. podcast one, right? Um, okay, so people want to get in touch with you. Uh, what are all the various ways they can do that? Yeah, um, my website, cubitusartist.com. Um, and I mostly hang out on Instagram. So it's karen.cubitus. And in my bio, there's my other brands. So you can reach out yeah, to that's any where of I find the, all the rest of it. Yeah. yeah. Um, if you need to get in touch with me, my website is that'snotspit.com. Uh, at that's not spit on Facebook and Instagram. Um, 
I suppose you could email me. There's a way to email me or something like that. I don't know. <laughs> um, if you like this episode, I would really encourage you to leave a rating and a review on iTunes. I'm surprised that's still a thing. Yeah. So it's I thought so that got important, rid of it. you guys. Like literally the reviews on iTunes matter more than anything. Yeah. It's the only way people can find you is if you have reviews. So that would be pretty cool. Um, and I would like to thank, uh, besides thanking Karen once again for having me, I'd like to thank uh, Brandon Yoakum for his work on mastering these episodes and making them sound so good for you guys. And most importantly, I would like to thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed the episode and we'll see you next time. Bye.